Good morning. Let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for a day to think about your fatherhood and our fatherhood. We pray that you would bless all those who are sick right now, that you would give them health, that you would give them a swift recovery. We pray for the shooties in particular and their baby for a safe delivery for mother and child. And we pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day, again. All right, thank you. This is my first one. My first one, yeah, yes. So it, it changes your perspective a little, right? Changes your perspective a little to be not just a son, but a father. Um, in the King's Kids program, our Sunday evening program for kids, we learned a song this year. Some of you know it. I don't know how many of you know it because I don't have a good sense yet of what our congregation knows and doesn't know. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold, you know that one? Yeah? Some of you? Okay, all right. Well, that's our passage today. That's our passage today. It's uh, John, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, because I want to talk about God the Father's love to us and what our response to him should be as his children. So let's read that together. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Who is, who is the he here? Who is the him? Who's the one who's going to appear? Jesus. That's who we're talking about. That's Jesus. So this is the Father's love for us. And this is a very, it's a very sweet passage, isn't it? I, I, I always love to read this. You might remember that John, the Apostle John, is the disciple who Jesus loved. Right. That's how he refers to himself. So if you read the Gospel of John, there are places where he'll talk about himself, but he doesn't say I. He doesn't say John. He doesn't say, and then I asked Jesus. He says, then the disciple Jesus loved asked Jesus a question. So that's how he refers to himself. Uh, he felt specially loved by Jesus. Being loved by Jesus means that you are loved by the Father. John understood that too because when you see Jesus, when you relate to Jesus, you are relating to God the Father. Uh, Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus. Jesus does what he sees his Father doing. Jesus came to show us God's love and he represents his Father's love perfectly. That's what he told us. So John is very qualified to write about the Father's love for us. Have you ever had a time where you felt an unusual sense of God the Father's love for you? Or where you had an unusually strong affection for God as your Father? You ever had one of those experiences? Some of you have. Maybe it was when you first came to faith and you can remember the excitement that you had, the warmth of feeling towards God, the sense, He loves me, God loves me. Maybe it was during a time of prayer. Maybe it was after some crisis that God brought you through. I, about 20 years ago, I was in Uganda, Africa, on a, on a mission trip. It's a small country in Central Africa. 
And it's weird to think that it's been 20 years. We were there to evangelize, to go out and do, you know, hut-to-hut evangelism with translators, which was very intense. And that was new for me. And I was not in a good place in my Christian life at the time. I was in a very weak place. I was in a place where I thought, maybe I'm not a Christian. In fact, one reason I went on the trip at all was, well, I bet going on this short-term mission trip, be there about a month, I bet that'll help me repent. Well, (laughs) it was a shock to the system. That's what it was. It was a shock to the system to be going out and spreading God's love every day when you yourself are not sure that you have it. And you don't feel it at all. So it was miserable. That's what I'm trying to say. It was completely miserable. I don't regret doing it. But boy, was it hard. There was one night, though, after evening worship, because every evening we'd come back, we'd talk about what happened that day, and we'd, have, we'd sing, you know, we'd pray. It was always terrible. <laughs> I mean, not, not for other people, for me. So uh, one, one night, though, we came, we came back, we had our worship, And as I was getting ready to go to bed, I had a very strong experience of God's love. I had a sense of his love for me, of my love for him, that was probably the most intense thing of this kind that's ever happened to me. Hasn't happened since. And I was up. I was up in the middle of the night on my bed, just happy. Just happy. What was going through my mind? Well, what was going through my mind were all these scripture passages. We've been reading a lot of scriptures that week. We've been talking about the gospel with people. And all of these were going through my mind. And I was just chewing on them. And I was very happy to think about God loves me. All these promises are true. I can see how they all connect. I can see how God loves me here. I'm glad he's brought me here. I, I had a sense of God's love overflowing. I was praying for people. I mean, I couldn't go to sleep until the wee hours of the morning. It was great. It was so much better than the rest of the trip. And then I woke up in the morning. What do you think happened in the morning? Why don't you guess? David Jones, you say I was fired up. My friend, I wish that were true. No, I woke up in the morning. It's like, I feel so miserable. Again, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if if I love God. It wasn't as bad as it had been, right? Because I had a placeholder in my mind. Oh, no, no. God does love me. God does love me. <laughs> but, and the rest of the trip was better. But boy, what a letdown to wake up again in the morning and be like, back to almost where I started. Oh no. So I've thought about that experience a lot. And you know what I thought? I've never, I haven't prayed to God. Please give me that again. I don't think that would be appropriate. I don't think that's what God wants us to pray and ask for, actually. What I thought is, Why don't I trust God's word? All that happened in my mind, my mind didn't go blank, like a a Buddhist experience of becoming one with the universe. No, no, no. My mind went to Jesus and what he said. It went to the promises of scripture. And the experience was, why don't you trust me, Ben? As though my heavenly father were asking that question, why don't you buy what I'm telling you? You're proud. You like to doubt. You're stubborn. You like to doubt. You want to doubt. Why don't you trust me? You've read the Bible your whole life. I mean, I've grown up in church. I read all these things my whole life. I kept them at arm's length. I still struggle with keeping them at arm's length, and I I know that some of you do too. Whether you've grown up at church or you're a more recent Christian, it's easy for all of us to be stubborn, to be proud, to have a hard time receiving God's love for us, isn't it? It's, 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 It's easy. 
And that's what I think the lesson of this experience is. So, God's love. And maybe you don't find it easy to believe that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. But here we are in Scripture, and it's telling us this is God's love for you. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Christ, this is God's love to you. And God wants you to receive it, not wait. Wait until what? Wait until when? How long will you wait? So, and the truth is God doesn't choose to leave us in a state of ecstasy, if you know that way. Ecstasy is like what I felt, like I'm just floating along here, floating along on the love of God. It's this intense emotional experience. God doesn't leave us there, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't. The path that he wants us to follow is the path of, trust me, oh, you don't feel like I love you? Remember that I love you. Oh, you don't feel like you love me? Practice love to me. You owe love to God. Practice your love to your Father in heaven. That is the path that God lays out for us to draw closer to him. Even for us to have better emotional lives as Christians that correspond more with what God actually says about his love. So the truth about you is that God is your father. If you're a believer in Christ, hold on to this. God is your father. This is Father's Day. God is the father from whom all fathers get their name, all fatherhood gets its name. We are dads. There's such a thing as a dad because God is a dad. He's a father. He's the father. And we start here. We start with God's love. God's love for us, we don't think about it enough. We don't. It's lavish. Do you know the word lavish? Lavish is like when you go to a meal at someone's house and you think, yeah, there's going to be food. But instead of food, there's three kinds of chicken and four kinds of beef, barbecue pork, a bunch of veggies. If you like veggies, I mean, I do. So I'd be happy about that. Appetizers, bowls of candy, couple of fancy desserts, wine if you drink wine, coffee if you drink coffee at night. There's, what in the world? I thought we were just coming for food. What is this? This is a feast. God's love is lavish. It's extravagant. It goes out of its way. It's crazy. And we need to mark it like that in our hearts and hold on to it. Right? We need to think about how big it is. So if you're in Christ, practice that. Practice that. God loves you. God loves you. And he loves you, the sinner. You did not fool him. He knows your heart. He knows what you actually are beneath what you pretend to be. Still loves you. You didn't get away with anything. He still loves you, the sinner. So John wants us to accept this, and we need to accept this because we'll get into this, but John has some pretty challenging things to say to the children of God. Some very challenging things to say, things that push us, stretch us, scare us. And we have to start with the love of God, or we can't really bear up under what he has to say. Not in my experience. We begin in a place of security and love, and then God comes to us. He disciplines us. He says hard things to us. His discipline for us comes out of his love for us, and it should be the same in our homes. Right, dads? Right, moms? His discipline for us, our discipline for our children, should come out of our love for them. When it does, the discipline is a kind of love. The discipline itself is love. And if there's no discipline, that indicates a lack of love. 
We know this because this is the picture that God our Father gives us. Love and discipline together. So the next thing that John says in this passage might surprise us a little, but he's still talking about God's love for us and our status as God's children. And he says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Him, again, being Jesus. So earlier in the book of 1 John, he talked about the world, passage we didn't read. The world, the world is your enemy. The world is your enemy. The world is the kingdom of man. The world is, you could think of it as the kingdom of man without God, right? It's the kingdom of rebels. It's the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of people who don't want anything to do with God. They resist God's light. It's the kingdom of man. We live in the world. We live in a kingdom that won't bounce knee to God, but we're not of the world. We are not that. We're children of God. We're not citizens of the kingdom of darkness. We're not slaves of sin. We're not sons of the devil. We are not headed for a final meeting with the wrath of God. We are children of our Father in heaven. And the world does not recognize us. What else could we say about the world? Well, so to paraphrase 1 John 2, 15 through 17, which I don't think I had Zach put up on the screen, but it's all about getting the pleasure you can while you can. It's about follow your lust, follow your evil desires, your greed. If you see something you want, take it. If you can't get it, well, you should at least be greedy to have it. If you still can't have it, you should at least be bitter that it's not yours. You ought to have it, good or bad, whether it's like wanting too much of something like food or whether it's wanting something evil like fornication, whatever it is, you should have it. That's how the world thinks. That's how the world acts. What else? Well, the world is about pride. The world is about pride. It's about living with the satisfaction that you're better with other people and seeing other people that way. How are you better than them? The world is about the pride that we all are born with. It's about exercising that like a muscle. And the world does not know Jesus Christ. It doesn't recognize him. So some of you kids know what it's like to feel rejected by your friends, maybe friends at school. This has happened to probably all of us at some point. If you're an adult, you can remember being in grade school or high school or maybe junior high is the worst. I think it's probably worse for girls than boys. But I remember my sister in elementary school would come home crying because there were girls who acted like they were her friends, but then they weren't, and they would ah, stab in the knife. They would be talking about her behind her back. They would be nasty the next day, sweet one day, nasty the next day. Was the message that she received, you are not one of us. We don't know you. We'll pretend, maybe, for a little bit. We don't know you. Everyone's had that kind of experience, even if just grade school stuff. Maybe worse, maybe in your own family, maybe a friend group that you used to have. Well, Jesus knew that better than any of us. Let me read you something from the Gospel of John. So this is John, but John 1, 9 through 13. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, this Jesus, was coming into the world. He was in the world, kingdom of man. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. 
It's kind of the background to our passage today, right? It's, you can see that John is riffing, so to speak, on his own gospel, stuff he already wrote. Because you've got, there it is, the world didn't know Jesus to make things worth his own people, the Jews. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't recognize him. They didn't want him. We've been talking about that in Romans 9 and 10 lately. But what? But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of the will of God, born again. So the world couldn't recognize the true light, and they didn't want it. Jesus showed them all this stuff. Here's God's love. Here's God's purity. Here's God's truth. Well, Jesus, we like the cool miracles. We sure like the charisma. You're shaking things up. This is exciting. But when it comes down to it and you're going to press us to become true children of God who live in the light, we don't know you. We don't want you. You're not our king. That was Jesus' experience. And now, if you're a Christian, you have been lit up by Jesus from the inside out. You've been born again. You have a light inside you. And what's happened to you? Well, now the world doesn't know you either. Now the world doesn't know you either. They don't get you. They don't recognize you. You've been changed. You don't want to go along with everything. You don't want to be part of evil things. Create some tension in your life. This is what God's love has done to you. It's, it's made you this way. It's introduced a point of tension and conflict in your life that wasn't there before. And that's not a bug in your Christian life. That's a design feature. It shows who you are. If you don't feel any of the tension or discomfort that I'm talking about anywhere, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. If you just find it easy to live in the world and go along with everything your friends want that might be evil, with the pride and the boasting that's everywhere, everywhere, no matter where you go, your family, your workplace, your friends, and if you just want to be a part of that or go along with that and you feel no tension, what you should ask yourself is, do I actually know God? <laughs> Am I his child or not? Right? The world is in the dark, but Christians born of God are not in the dark. We have light. Um, let's go on. Let's go on to the next thing John wants to tell us. So we've got the love of God. We've got the way it separates us from the world. And now he wants to remind us of the full glory <clears throat> and happiness that's coming to the children of God. We don't have it yet. It's in the future. It says, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What does it mean to become like Jesus? You ever think about this? It means to be made new. Totally new. 100% new. Body and soul. For the first time ever, so our bodies, they'll be perfect, free of pain and disease. I had a lot of allergies as a kid. I have a few now. But I was allergic to everything. Was it, was it plant? Allergic. Was it an animal? Allergic. Was it food? 50-50. You know, that kind of thing. I was allergic to, like, not just milk, but bananas and even mustard for some reason. I forget. There was a whole bunch of things that I couldn't eat for a time. And everything would make me sneeze. And then there'd be mold and mildew, and that would, that would almost kill me. And, and I had to eat, do things that, were, that are terrible for a kid. Like, I had to eat my cereal with apple juice instead of milk. Don't do that. It's bad. Yeah, it was, it was tragic. And 
And I almost died a few times in the hospital because of asthma. From ages zero to four, I was put in the hospital several times. In an earlier era with less medical technology, I probably would be dead. That kind of stunk. And a lot of you have gone through things that are terrible. Physical suffering, right? Pain, cancer, disease, all kinds of things. We suffer in a lot of ways. When Jesus comes back, when he raises us from the dead, that stuff is gone. We'll see him as he is and we'll be made like him. That stuff is gone. New bodies. New bodies. No more apple juice on your cereal. None of that. And even, even better, sin will be gone too. Sin will be gone too. Sin, I mean, speaking of bodies, sin lives in our bodies. Sin is in like our brain and our stomach and our muscles. What, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that your body does things when you sin. It produces things. When you sin, we're spiritual and physical. If you lust, if you're sexually immoral, obviously, your body is involved. Your body gets corrupted. It retains a memory of evil things. If you, if you get angry, if you get hateful, your body does things. It tenses up. If you get anxious, your stomach tenses up. Your throat may tense up. And your body keeps these things, and it sort of rehearses these things. It practices these things so that even, even your body becomes like an enemy you have to subdue as you're trying to offer the parts of your body to God as his child. Well, that's sin, and that's the power of sin living in us. That'll be gone too. None of us know what that's going to be like. I can hardly imagine. I can hardly imagine. When we see Jesus as he is, that's it. And what does it mean to see Jesus as he is? Have you ever thought about that phrase? It's an interesting phrase. See him as he is. So in John 14, 8 through 9, there's a conversation between Jesus and his disciple Philip that gives us an idea. So I'm going to read this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So seeing Jesus as he is, when we see his face, physically, literally, see his face, we will see the love and the glory of our Father unhidden. We have faith now. We have faith that our Father loves us, but we can't just see it. You see it everywhere, right? But you don't see it in the face of Jesus. You don't see it unhidden. We're going to see the face of our Creator, our friend, our Father, our God. We're going to see in Jesus and the wounds that he's carrying, the wounds of his love for us, which is also the Father's love for us in his wrists and his ankles, we're going to see God's love. And that is the point at which God has decided, the point at which his love is totally, 100% clearly revealed in a, a flashing brilliance. That's the point at which he has chosen to transform us and make us new. The full revelation of his love. It's pretty cool, right? And that's the measure of our Father's love to us. This is how our Father's love 
overflows. John's trying to help us get a hold on it. How is it in your home, dads and moms? Does your love overflow? Are you stingy with your love? God is not a stingy father. God is not a stingy father. So then John says, verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who is looking forward to Jesus' return, his full and final triumph over death and sin and the devil, everyone who has that hope, they're like, yes, that's what I want. They purify themselves. They make themselves holy. Why? Well, because true children of God, they see Jesus and they say, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I want to be more like Jesus. That's natural. But then some of us, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're catching on here, you start to get a little uneasy. I always get uneasy when I come to this verse. Every time, I will purify myself. Well, I mean, how much? How much are we talking? How much is enough, you know? Because there's some significant sin living in my heart. It's still some darkness in there. I mean, I guess it could be worse. It could always be worse. But how much is enough? Right? How much? I, I thought it was a done deal anyway. God's love, that started everything, that solved everything. So why throw me into the mix? I'm just going to mess it up. Can't we just say it's God's love and purify yourselves as best you can? Maybe John should have used that language. Why does he have us on the hook? Right? You ever felt that way? Am I the only one? I can't be the only one. Well, why is John writing this way? Because John understands love better than you and I do. He has a much clearer grasp on God's love. And he understands that the love of God is a power that works in us and an obligation. It gives us an obligation to keep. Power, obligation. He gets that. I want to give you three verbs, in fact. Three verbs that apply to you if you're a child of God. So the verbs are, when you get them in the right order, you will, you should, and you must purify yourself. Got it? You will purify yourself. You should purify yourself. And you must purify yourself. Here we go. You will. You will. This is what will happen to you. Why? Because God's love is a power. It's a power. When God first loves us, think about what he does. He's raising the corpse out of the casket. You were dead in your sins. Just dead. Now you're alive. It's calling Lazarus out of the tomb. Come out. He's, he's raising spiritually dead people to life so that they can be his children. And when his children come to life, what do you think? They're just going to stay in the funeral parlor looking dead. The work of the mortician. They're just going to stay in the grave. Oh, I don't want to be God's child. I'm dead still. No, no. People who are alive in Christ, they act alive. They act alive. God's power brought them to life. His spirit lives in them. He gave them a new heart. So we start to care about obedience. We care because God put that in us to care about following him. He put a love for us in himself, uh, in ourselves, sorry. He put his love in us. 
changes us. So if you're a child of God, you will purify yourself. God will make it happen. That's, that's a comforting one. That's an easy one. How about should? Uh, if, God, if you're God's child, you should purify yourself. You should live a holy life. It's not hard to understand either, right? You should have some gratitude. Thank you for making me alive from the dead. I'd like to please you. You should want to please God. You should read God's word. You should think about what he commands you to do. You should want to do it. You should purify yourself. Sons and daughters should obey their fathers. They should. Employees should obey their bosses. They should. We should obey God, our Father, right? That's pretty simple too. But let me come to the last one. And this is where, well, this is the thing I find the hardest, personally. You must. You must. It's not just that you will. God will do that. It's not just that you should. Of course you should. You must. You must. What do I mean? I mean that John is drawing a line in the sand between the children of God and the children of the devil. He's drawing a line in the sand. And it separates those who are God's children from those who aren't. That's what it does. You must make yourself pure because if you don't, you will show that you were never a child of God. That's what it will show. It will prove it. Jesus said a good tree bears good fruit. Right? Think back to the power of God. If God's power makes you alive and you never show any life, you're like a zombie or a corpse. That makes no sense. It can't happen. God won't let you into heaven if you don't make an effort to purify yourself. Why? Because that would be a, a, a very clear indication that you never belong to him. And why would you want to go into heaven anyway if that's you? Why? God's there. God's there. God is the source of all that's good, pure, holy. He's like the opposite of sin. What attraction would there be in heaven if you don't like who God is and want to be like him? That makes no sense. That doesn't work. If you love sin and the darkness of sin, why would you go there? There's a different place where people go who love sin and the darkness of sin, and that's hell, not heaven. So if you're a child of God, you must act like a child of God. God requires it. So I want to read the next few verses that come after our passage, and I'm not going to comment much on them. Don't worry. But I just want to read them because they have so much to do with our three verbs. But I want you to take a tight grip on the love of God, right? This is a sermon about the love of God. Okay? You got a tight grip. Got it. All right. I'm trying. I'm looking at your eyes. You're all like, what are you about to do? I'm just going to read some verses. It's cool. It's cool. So hold on to the love of God for you. This is true. This is your starting point. And let's, let's read. This is 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Nathan Alberson and I were talking the other week about how nerve-wracking we find it to read 1 John. It's because of stuff like this. You read 1 John, at least I do, and I think, well, I did think I was a Christian until I read that. (laughs) Now, I think maybe someone should just shoot me or something and get this over with because I just don't, what am I supposed to do with this? Is this, am I a child of God? Or not? Is this, is this real? There is a lot of sin in my life still since I became a Christian. Am I God's child? This is a sermon about the Father's love. And here we are at a point where we're asking ourselves, have I received it? Am I God's child? So my answer is this. Recognizing that some of you have more sensitive consciences than others. Some of you are more likely to get bound up about stuff like this than others. Do you hate your sin or do you love your sin? Sometimes I seem like I love my sin. But basically, do you hate your sin or do you love your sin? Having other people in your life, like the church, like your pastors, to tell you... If there's any indication you hate your sin or not, it can be helpful here. Do you hate it or do you love it? Not do you hate it perfectly. Do you hate it? Are you working on giving it up? Not perfectly. No perfect people here. Are you working on giving it up? Or not? Big sin? Small sin? All sin. I wanted to do a Dr. Seuss thing there, but I I held myself back. I really did. I wrote it in, and then I deleted it. Like, this is a serious part of the sermon. I'm sorry. Later, David Jones. Later. Uh, what What is the word we use to describe this process of hating your sin and leaving it behind? It's one word. Repentance. Repentance. You're living a life of repentance. God's children are supposed to live lives of repentance. That's what it means to purify yourself. If this is you, then other people here can see that happening, even if sometimes you can't because you have a sensitive conscience and you feel overwhelmed with your own darkness or whatever. Speaking as one who knows. Speaking as one who doesn't like to read First John. The sermon is good for me. It's good for me. So if you hate your sin, maybe reading this convicts you of more sin. You're like, yeah, I'm really holding on to that. I guess I can't hold on to that and be God's child. That is a good indicator. If you feel like you hate your sin and you want to leave it behind, and if that's your response when this passage hits you, like it ought to hit all of us, pretty hard, I would say. To me, it's a battering ram against any sin that you're like, I'm just going to be comfortable with this one. I'm just going to hate that guy. I'm just going to lust once a week. Click that link, just once a week. It's pretty under control, right? No. If you have an attitude of repentance, it's an indicator that God is your father. Because why would you have that if he didn't put it there? You didn't make that up on your own, right? And so let's say that you feel convicted and you work on leaving a sin behind. 
you're going to be happier or less happy when you've done that. You're going to be more or less miserable. You're going to be less miserable. You're going to be happier. Why? Because when God loves us and he disciplines us, it's for our good. It's for our holiness, which makes us happy. We have to have faith to receive that from God, don't we? We have to have faith to take the hard things and say, that's part of your love for me too. Reading that in 1 John, I wanted to stop at like verses 1 or 2. Behold, what kind of love the Father has for us. Okay, that's good. Thanks, John. That was, that was a warm, warm and fuzzy thought for the day. That's good. John's like, I'm not done. You better not be a child of the devil. Like, John, John, you're bringing the mood down. No, 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 no. Are our homes full of discipline? Do we see discipline as a part of God's love, as a part of our love for our children? I'm going to be asking myself that question soon with our little babies who are going to need discipline soon, and I'm going to feel the weight of this question. Do I actually believe that discipline is a part of love or not? Will I imitate what I see my Father in heaven doing to me? Or will I say no? I don't want that. I don't want the pressure of disciplining my children because it's hard and it's painful. And I don't want to think that that's love. Well, God is not at all bothered. He'll give you two verses about his love, maybe three, and they're wonderful. And then he'll give you like eight verses that warn you about your sin and you're like, oh no, that's God's love. You have to trust that, right? God's love. So there you go. Happy Father's Day. God loves you. And if you are his child, you'll take all the verses from today into your heart, not just the ones that are easier. Work them out in your life. If you have kids, work them out with your kids. That's love. And let's live as children of God together. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us, not in a way that makes us comfortable not in a way that we would be able to choose, but a way that you chose for us that actually is love. Thank you for showing us what that is. Thank you for showing us through the face of Jesus. We ask that you would help us to receive your love today, to let it overflow into our families, to live in it, to trust it, to rely on it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.